0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. A real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark
1: and Dr. Karen Hutchison.
2: Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. As usual, we have a really great show for you, Phil. Who's on today?
0: Yeah, today we have Stacy Harris. And uh, Stacy, if you were at CAFO uh, Summit a few years ago in Orlando. Stacy was able to share with us there about the work she's doing to fight against trafficking from the legal side. She's an assistant U.S. attorney, and she's going to share with us today, as you'll hear, just what she's doing to fight against this, this awful, awful thing that's going on in the, in the United States and all over the world. She's going to share with us a little bit about kind of the anatomy of human trafficking, what it, what it looks like in the, in the real world, and really what we can do about it. How we can fight against it uh, right alongside her. So, you know, I, I look forward to hearing for, for your feedback. You can do that at thinkorphan.com. Send us an email at infothinkorphan.com. At uh, connect with us on Facebook or Twitter as well uh, if you want to give financially I know several people have asked me about that uh, you can do so there at uh, ProvidenceWorld.com and go to the giving tab and then you can really uh, walk alongside us on the financial side to, to make sure this this podcast can keep going and keep getting out to people to help them all around the world so without more on that here you go Stacey Harris well Stacey it is so great to finally get you on the Think Orphan podcast
1: well thanks for having me I'm happy to be here so Stacy you know I know a
0: lot of the people out there if they were if the audience members out there if you were at CAFO a couple years ago um, out in Orlando you would have uh, met Stacy there as she as she shared with us some of the work that she's doing um, in Florida but uh, for those of who weren't and and those uh, who may not remember Stacy can you just share a little bit about who you are and how you got to be where you are today
1: yeah. Yes, my name is Stacey Harris and I'm an Assistant United States Attorney the Middle District of Florida, which essentially means that I'm a federal prosecutor. Um, I'm actually the Human Trafficking Coordinator as well as the Civil Rights Coordinator for the Middle District of Florida. The state of Florida is broken up into three federal districts. We have the Northern District, the Middle District, and the Southern District of Florida. The Middle District of Florida where I work covers 35 out of the 67 counties in Florida um, going from as far north as Jacksonville down to Orlando, over to Ocala, and all the way down south to Fort Myers. So we make up, our district makes up the bulk of the state of Florida. And so within those areas, I am the human trafficking coordinator as well as the civil rights coordinator, um, in addition to being the chief of the major crimes division. So we investigate federal cases within those areas.
0: Now is that something that you knew you wanted to get involved with or did you have you when how did you learn about human trafficking and and really how did you come to specialize in that and the and the civil rights as well
1: So um when I started at the US Attorney's office in 2008 human trafficking was still uh, a relatively new federal crime. Um, For instance, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act you know, has has only been around probably less than 20 years. It was first passed in 2000. And so the TVPA had, it was relatively new. We hadn't had a lot of prosecutions under the TVPA. And as you can imagine in most uh, organizations, you know, when you're the new guy, the new stuff that comes in, they hand to you because no one is really knows much about it. No one is really specialized in it. And so as the new AUSA, I was handed a stack of cases and was told, hey, you're going to start working on this stuff um, at the time. And even now, trafficking cases have historically been very, very difficult. And it's largely because um, they're not always A lot of times the victims don't self-identify as victims, so they're not happy or excited to see law enforcement. They're often very cooperative, and when presenting a case in front of a jury of 12, they're not always the most sympathetic victims Mm -hmm. um, to the extent that a lot of jurors look at them and think that, oh, you know, she has a criminal history or she has a history of drug abuse or she's a runaway. And so oftentimes they might look at these victims and think that they can't relate to them because... You know, they don't know anyone like this. They don't look at that victim and think she could be my daughter or she could be my daughter's friend or she could be my niece. And so as a result, you know, these cases are often very hard to prosecute. And so as a new person, they were like, here you go, you're going to start handling these cases. Um, I was lucky enough at the time to work with an FBI agent and I still work with him to this day. And he had just started an initiative in the Tampa office of the FBI called Innocence Lost. Innocence Lost is a federal human trafficking initiative that the FBI does nationwide where they focus on domestic minor sex trafficking. And what that means is essentially they look at sex trafficking of domestic minors or U.S. kids. So these are U.S. kids that have gone missing and have somehow ended up in the commercial sex industry. And so that he had just kicked off the Innocence Loss Initiative here at the FBI in Tampa, and he and I started working on these cases. Um, in happenstance, at the same time, you know, we were pulling police reports from different areas around Tampa, around Pinellas, and, you know, we noticed um, a trend where we were often seeing minors, 14, 15, 16-year-olds being arrested at hotels, and no one had really thought to ask themselves, why do we have all these young individuals at hotels? I mean, they cannot um, book a hotel room being less than 18 years old and so when we started digging and really looking at this we noticed that a crime we noticed a crime problem that no one was really paying attention to and as a result these kids were kind of slipping through the cracks and nothing was really being done to address it and so he and i for the last 10 years have essentially been you know uh, prosecuting a lot of domestic sex domestic minor sex trafficking here within the tampa bay area
0: yeah, and and with when you talk about the prosecution of it and and uh, human trafficking, as you said, it, it's difficult. It's it's hard to prosecute for many reasons. But can you can you just take a step back and share with the audience? You know what is human trafficking from a legal standpoint?
1: So the legal definition of human trafficking is where you compel or, or coerce someone to do something, and in the human trafficking context, it is specifically commercial sex acts. Or working labor mm-hmm. so there's all forms of human trafficking there's you know child prostitution or prostitution by force fraud and coercion and then there's also um, domestic servitude where, you know, individuals might have someone in their home working as a nanny or a maid and they're not being paid fair wages. We also have labor trafficking where we have people who are brought here from outside of the country or maybe people who are Americans who are being forced to work for less than a living wage or no wages at all. So a lot of people, when you hear the term human trafficking, people think that it's actually about movement, and it's not. Mm -hmm. There's no requirement that people be moved for there to be human trafficking. What is the operative language is the coercion or the compelling to do something. So it's the coercion or compelling to engage in commercial sex acts or to work. And that's the federal legal definition of human trafficking.
0: Right. And that goes to when you said it's difficult to prosecute often because often they don't give evidence of that coercion. Is that kind of what happens with the victims when they're there for whatever reason, whether they're scared, whether they're, there's other reasons for it, they're not giving that evidence. Is that, is that a lot of what happens?
1: Well, it's not even about giving the evidence. It's more a situation where they don't recognize that they're victims. Mm. And so there's evidence all around. It's us being in a position to identify and collect the evidence. Yeah. Um, And so that's what makes these cases difficult. When you have a victim who doesn't necessarily understand the crime problem and doesn't understand that they have been a victim of this, um, they're not very willing to talk and cooperate with law enforcement because they don't even understand the depths of their own victimization.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into a little bit more of that a little bit later. But before we get to that, uh, from the standpoint of the stay in the legal area a little bit, Uh, I remember back at CAFO, you had talked about this, this issue that oftentimes um, or I don't know if it's often, but sometimes children trafficking victims are actually convicted of crimes themselves. Can you speak to that a little bit and why explain why that happens?
1: Um, So I, I think early on, again, you know, a lot of these children who were involved in some type of human trafficking or domestic sex trafficking. You know, a lot of times they were runaways, they were in and out of the foster care system. And, you know, a lot of these kids were just out there trying to survive on their own, or, you know, they were being taken care of by a trafficker or a pimp. And so... um, at the time, you know, law enforcement really wasn't educated on what human trafficking was and what human trafficking looked like. So we would often see a lot of our victims being arrested for prostitution. We would see them being arrested for petty theft. We'd see them being arrested for burglary or robbery. Um, and, it, and it was a direct result of the exploitation that they were being subjected to. But because as law enforcement, we didn't recognize it or know what it was, we didn't know that, um, you know, us arresting these victims and, you know, essentially, you know, creating a criminal record, how much damage that was doing. Um, As we've kind of progressed and we've learned more about human trafficking, we've learned more about the perpetrators, we've learned more about the victims. Um, Law enforcement has really, really done a great job of getting on board and doing a lot of training to their um, agents, as well as local law enforcement, to the police officers, to the deputies, to the detectives, so that they can identify human trafficking and alternative remedies um, can be provided to victims other than just being arrested and so it was largely a situation where we were still in a culture where we didn't understand the crime problem and you know now that we understand it again remedies have been set in place i know the state of florida as well as a lot of states have now um they have provisions in state laws where a lot of these victims can have their their criminal records expunged where they have uh basically gotten criminal charges while they were in the process of being trafficked um, because we now know that hey it was a fight for survival and we don't want to re-victimize them when they were just trying to survive and make their traffickers happy so they weren't being beaten and so they would be fed um, but again that just comes with understanding the crime problem and us getting out there and just the knowledge that has been going, not through the Florida community, but just the country in general, as it relates to human trafficking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and can you just speak to the the scope of the problem right now, at least in the United States? You know, how big of a problem is trafficking right now?
1: Um, I think human trafficking, it's always been a problem. And, and we know that, especially when we look back and, you know, for years and years and years, people have always said that. Um, prostitution is the oldest profession in the world Mm -hmm. and we know with that we have with with prostitution we have human trafficking because even adult prostitutes we know a lot of them were forced into the game or into that lifestyle as children and we know that children can't consent when you're under the age of 18 you can't consent to go out and have sex for with someone for money or for free. We also know that a lot of adult prostitutes are forced into the life. They're forced into doing certain things. Um, you know, I know no woman has said in ki- while she was a kindergartner that, hey, I want to be a prostitute when I grow up. There's often life circumstances that have brought them to that. And oftentimes it has been. They have been forced into it by a loved one, by a boyfriend, family members. Um, or, you know, for whatever reason, and someone has also kept them there by ways of force, fraud, and coercion. So throughout the years, I think now that we recognize human trafficking for what it is, we have identified the crime problem, we have identified what it is and who's perpetrating it, um... And it's something that people have been talking about for several years now. I think the communities in which we live are very much more aware of human trafficking. So as a result, when people see something, they say something. There have been a lot of prosecutions of human trafficking that it's definitely um, a crime problem that's being reduced, but it's, it's definitely a problem out there. You know, it comes down to making money and we know that this is something that Not just individuals do, but groups of people do, gangs do it um, for a long time. You know, we were seeing gang members selling girls instead of drugs because yes. whenever you sell drugs, you have to re-up your product. But with a girl, you know, you can sell her over and over again and never have to pay for more product. We also know that you know it's easier when you're traveling with a girl from location location. That in and of itself is not a crime, and it and it looks perfectly innocent. Whereas, whereas if you're stopped with drugs in your car, then you know most likely there's Uh, there's certainly something criminal going on. Right. So as long as there's money to be made there, we will continue to have people who will engage in human trafficking.
0: Absolutely. And and, uh, you've alluded this a couple times, but can you speak to the interconnectedness of human trafficking and the care of orphaned and at-risk children, really with foster care, broken families, and and, and those those things?
1: Yes. Um, So we, we we see victims of human trafficking come from everywhere, from every single race, from every gender, from every social class. Um, but we do see a large number of our victims come from individuals who are in foster care, who, you know, are in the state custody, who don't have permanent full-time families. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, A lot of things that we can suspect, I mean, in talking to some of our victims, especially victims who have been in and out of foster care or group homes, um, a lot of them have never seen what a healthy male-female relationship looks like. A lot of them have never had their own family, have never had their own bedroom, have never had their own things. And because of those vulnerabilities, they are very, very susceptible to exploitation. When we look at the recruitment of victims into human trafficking, you know, we see a lot of these traffickers online talking to these victims, telling them how beautiful they are, telling them that, you know, I love you and I'm going to take care of you. And when you have a victim who's never really had a, a man or a father figure in her life love her, tell her she's pretty, tell her she's beautiful, they don't necessarily understand that love is not conditional, that if someone loves me, I don't have to do anything in return. And so a lot of these perpetrators will feign love for these victims and they tell them like, I love you. I'm going to buy you this. I'm going to get your hair done. I'm going to get your nails done. I'm going to buy you gifts. And they tell them, you know, if you love me back, you will go and make us some money meaning go out and have sex for money. And again, because a lot of these victims have never been or ever actually observed what a healthy male-female relationship looks like, they don't necessarily know that this is wrong. Um, In addition, you know, these people, these men are taking care of them. And a lot of times when you talk to kids in and out of foster care and orphans, they say they feel like, The foster care system is no different than having a pimp. They feel like a lot of these times these families don't love them, that they're just a paycheck, that people take them in only because they're getting money. And so how is that any different than a trafficker? He's taking care of me and I'm giving him money, just like, you know, this family took care of me and they got money from the state. And it's really, really disheartening and sad to hear them think about it or how, how, hear them express it in these terms, but that's often what we hear from our victims. Um, And so these traffickers are very savvy in the sense that they can identify this vulnerability and they absolutely exploit it to their benefit.
0: Right. Right. And so with that, that the, these pimps really are creating a quote unquote family environment with these girls. Like that's the closest thing. Some of them have had to a family and it's really broken in so many different ways, but really that's the reality that we're, we're facing. And so with that, you know, what are ways that, you know, we can, we can fight against that. We can really kind of break the cycle of this, this uh, brokenness where these, these children really don't understand what family is so that. It's so broken that they think a pimp and other girls that they're working in this this area with are their, quote, family. You know, so what what are ways that we can we can fight against that?
1: Well, and part of it is is education. I mean, but that's part of the psychology of it. You know, these men introduce themselves to these young girls and say, hey, call me daddy. You know, that's a common term that we hear in human trafficking circles where the pimp or the trafficker refers to himself as daddy. Yes. And he provides these victims shelter. He provides them clothing. He provides them food. He provides all of their needs. And all of the other girls are like their sisters. And they always, they they really, really keep talking about this is a family. We're a family. This is part of the family. You do this for the family. And when you have young people who have never had a family, they've never felt like they've been part of a family unit, they've never felt like they belong, you know, that's certainly a way in which to suck them in and to hold them in and then also to keep them loyal to the trafficker. And so a large part of that is education. It's starting early. You know, one of the big things that we do in the Tampa Bay area in terms of our different task force and our different different NGO partners, we really try to get out into the schools. And, and we talk about human trafficking and we talk about some of these things so that even as young as young kids, um, individuals who could potentially be victims can recognize, you know, kind of the signs of human trafficking, what to look for, and what some of these code words and this code language means, because we want to make sure that they identify and they're able to walk away and get away before it's too late because once they're sucked in and once they're out there and you know they're having sex for money you know that's hard to go back from so we just try to educate them on the front end as well as the community so that they recognize what in fact human trafficking is so that we can prevent it as opposed to just identifying it and prosecuting it we want to prevent it on the front end.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I imagine, obviously, with the U.S. Attorney's Office, you're not necessarily doing this, but a family preservation and being able to really strengthen families would be a key way to do that as well. Is that is that right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So so I'm just really trying for the audience out there, you know, this is where we talk about this on the show a lot about the interconnectedness and that, you know, if we can strengthen families and we can, you know, really disciple and and raise up these girls and boys, because boys are victims as well, um, to understand their identities, a lot of this could be prevented on the front end. Would you agree with that?
1: I I would absolutely agree with that. I mean and it is very important. It's not just girls, it's girls and boys because boys are victims but boys are also perpetrators. Mm -hmm. And we've also Mm -hmm. had female perpetrators. And so we need they also need to understand not just the victimization of it, but also how you would never you don't treat other people like this. Like this is not okay and that the ramifications are long, they are lifelong and they are very, very deep. And it goes back to what you're saying um, in terms of developing strong and good families and strong and good people. Yep.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, something I talk to my kids all the time about just as far as respecting each other, understanding their worth, understanding their identity is so critical to so many things. But when people don't have that truth spoken into them, you know, they're just, they're right. just hungry for that. And so that's when the exactly. pimp comes along and says, I'm your daddy. They say, oh good, I've always wanted a daddy. And I imagine you say right. that every day. Yes, absolutely. So, so I, I remember when you were at CAFO, you also talked about, you know, the, the role of the church in this and, and what, what, what are ways that the church together can, can, uh, or what you've seen can uh, help to prevent human trafficking as well.
1: And and again, I think, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about before is is prevention, um, you know, continuing to invest in our families, continuing to invest in our communities. Um, You know, one area where our churches have been phenomenal as, or as NGOs are non-governmental organizations as our partnerships. Once we identify and recover victims, you know, we have to rehabilitate them. And oftentimes that's dealing with drug issues, that's um, dealing with Psychological issues that's dealing with issues of trauma, childhood trauma. And so our churches have been very instrumental in raising money to assist with victim services, um, providing shelters for victims, um, providing, you know, any type of assistance in terms of getting into GED programs, job placement, job training. And also just breathing life and loving on our victims. Mm. A lot of times it's, it's something so simple as just loving them and telling them that they matter and that they are not alone um, because a lot of times these, these individuals have never really understood that and they've never felt that and they've never experienced it. And right. so it's just breathing life into them and lifting them up.
0: And what would you say? You know, as you as you've seen, you know, and been a part of this for now, going on a decade or a little over a decade, what have you seen as kind of the consistent, if there is such a thing, um, the real, the kind of the recipe for restoration of the victims? I mean, because it's so hard, and there's so much you know, hurt and, and brokenness mm-hmm. in this, but you kind of probably touched on them just in that last answer, but you know, anything other than, I mean, obviously consistency, but what is it like the recipe to really help and restore the victims? Um, if in fact the prevention doesn't happen and in fact the families aren't strengthened, but they, and they've never really experienced family, but they're rescued out of this. How can you speak truth into that to, to hopefully restore them?
1: Well, I- I, I honestly I wish I knew the answer to that and if you find out please <laughs> let me know I will. because yeah. I, I think that's one of the areas that we're lacking and one of the areas that I think as a individual as well as a prosecutor I struggle with the most hmm. because we still lose victims mm-hmm. we save a lot of victims we recover a lot of victims but we also we recover them and some run again and they come back and they run again and every time we lose one It's heartbreaking. Um, We've always taken a victim-centered approach where our victim is our priority. They are first and foremost. So our main concern upon recovery is getting them the services that they need so that they can be a productive member of society moving forward. But even though there are oftentimes we do that, we can provide them those things, but a lot they're broken and so sometimes it's easier to run back to the life that you know than taking those steps to move forward and so it's really you know it's the consistency it's continuing when they run away to continue to love them, to not judge them, and let them know, like, there is life. There is life. This is a small, what has happened to them is a very, very small blip on this thing that we call life. And we choose how we react to it. We can either either move forward and have a great life, or we continue to to be defined by that. And um, we just, whatever their needs are, we try to meet them where they are and provide the services and the things that they need where they are in that moment. But oftentimes it starts with, you know, the smallest thing, but just knowing that someone loves them and someone cares about them and someone's willing to fight for them.
0: Absolutely. That's so important for everyone, and especially when you've encountered that brokenness and the trauma that they have. So I know so many people out there Mm -hmm. listening here have uh, have. Children, their own home, who have experienced so much trauma, and so to hear those words, just really consistency and to love and and be there, and so I think that that is something that we can all hopefully remember. And if we ever are in the position of helping one of these children um, be restored, I, I just pray that we can have that wisdom uh, to be able to do that. Yeah. So yeah. The, uh, the last couple of questions we ask all our guests, and I, I will definitely get those to you right now. And uh, what uh, what have you read? listened to or watched recently that has impacted your understanding of how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence?
1: What have I read recently?
0: Read or watched or listened to that really has kind of informed this, these uh, these things that we're talking about.
1: Um, hmm. Well, you know, every day for me, it's, you know, listening to my victims and their experiences. Um. Because I, I think it starts with them. It's hard to determine what someone needs without hearing it from them from their mouth. Um, one thing that I can say is that there are a lot of organizations that are really and, and you know spiritually centered organizations that are working to combat human trafficking and finding their place in this. Um, One organization in particular, um, one organization that I know that's really working uh, on developing books that, you know, can be handed out to victims of human trafficking, that's titled You Are Priceless, and it's an organization called The Priceless Journey. Mm. It's a Christian-based organization, and they are essentially, they've come up with these great um, books that we have that we can provide to victims of human trafficking. And it's basically a compilation of stories or um, not just stories, but also testimonies as well as scripture and Bible verses that other victims have experienced and things that they've gone through to kind of, you know, talk about their walk and how they've how they've been able to get through um what you know the victimization of human trafficking and how they've recovered from it. So that's something that I am a champion of right now that I really like. Um and yeah that book is called it's the organization's called The Priceless Journey and the books are called You Are Priceless.
0: That's great. Thanks. The last question, what one person or or group of people, if if one is not uh, sufficient, has most impacted your thinking about how we can love orphan and at-risk children with excellence?
1: Um, I would say the group of people are victims, are the Mm victims. You know, these are are young men and women as well as adults who have experienced more in their very, very short lives than most people have experienced in their whole world. And I think a lot of them want to be they want to live a good life they want to move forward and they want to do it without judgment they want to do it without people looking down on them and you know and they want to be loved unconditionally like everyone else and i think that's the one thing just the stigma that's placed on prostitution that's placed on human trafficking and I think that's really hard for a lot of them to come to grips with. And it meant, you know, what they've been through. And we know that in order for us to move forward, we kind of have to move through it and move through the pain. So absolutely, um, I think they're the people I've learned the most from in terms of how we can deal with it.
0: Well, Stacey, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and for just really sharing your wisdom with our audience today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again, Stacy, for sharing your wisdom, sharing what uh, really God's been doing through you to fight against um, this this tragic thing in our world. Um, it really also gave me just a glimpse into what might have been if I would have gone into fight trafficking, as you, those, those of you folks out there know uh, from my story. That was one of the one of the avenues I was considering back about a decade ago uh, when I was looking into um, how to fight against this, you know, and really help alleviate the orphan crisis around the world. So that was definitely something that, uh, was, was really interesting to me. So Karen, what, what, what'd you take away from this interview?
2: I, uh, really liked this interview when our family came back from East Africa. I think, you know, this fall, but our listeners might not know. I became really involved with an organization, a ministry here in Louisville, Kentucky called Scarlet Hope. And, um, our listeners might not know, but Louisville, Kentucky actually has one of the largest adult entertainment industries actually in the whole United States. Um, so our little Louisville has a ton of trafficking and a ton of just really difficult situations for women and men who have been, um, coerced or tricked or trapped, um, held against their will, um, in the adult entertainment industry. And so, um, this was really, exciting for me to hear um, it sounds like Stacy has just a great amount of wisdom and a great heart for helping these victims I think one of the things that she, talked about that's so important and we've seen this a lot here in Louisville, not only in the past three years, but I think probably the past decade is there's been such um, an emphasis on providing training to police officers and detectives. I know here in Louisville, especially at the University of Louisville, um, there's even a special program where all medical professionals have to go through a specific training to be able to identify what might a trafficking victim look like. And so just really starting to educate the general public um, and continuing to educate the general public um, about what is this? It's not just sex trafficking. It can be labor trafficking. It can be other types of situations where children, teenagers, and adults are forced and held, um, in a certain situation that they're not wanting to be in. And so she did a great job of talking about the facts related to it, but also emphasizing the training that goes on that helps spread awareness.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the thing that uh, really stuck out to me, too, is just her talking about how hard it is to uh, prosecute traffickers and other offenders, how hard it is to really get the victims to speak the truth and to speak out. And, And sometimes it's because they're scared, but sometimes it's because they're totally brainwashed, you know, and they're just they're brainwashed into this, oh, this is my family. These are my people. And and, yeah. and it's a brainwash that's unfortunately easy to do oftentimes because these kids are so broken from their past. You know, I know that's something that you are, you know, fighting against too from the other side as well is to come into these kids and speak truth in their lives, hopefully earlier before that happens. So, you know, what do you think about that conversation?
2: Yeah. You know, a lot of times people, you're like, I thought you worked with kids and families. Like, why are you working with adults? Why are you working with um, people in the adult entertainment industry? But obviously, like trauma connects all Mm -hmm. of those things. But also, even what Stacey was talking about, it's really individuals that haven't had a family or that don't have a family or haven't had the protection of a family. And so what you were saying, Phil, is totally on point when you have someone who's grown up without the protection and safety of a loving, nurturing, consistent environment Honestly, when you receive that, even if it's a really unhealthy and violent and abusive, um, type of quote unquote family, sometimes that can be enough. Even that environment that is abusive and harmful and just really awful, that can be what someone thinks that's all they get. And so really helping children, teenagers, adults to understand their true identity for those of us, um, who are Christians, obviously that identity comes from, um, our belief in Jesus Christ and the foundation that our identity is in him, um, and helping victims to understand that they are not the summation of the things that they've been through, but there is hope in Jesus. And that does not, um, this doesn't have to be their story, but, you know, she talked about too, I think, um, the question is, you know, do you have a recipe for restoration? I liked that question. Mm Um, and there isn't a specific recipe I wish there was. I know that here um, with the organizations that I do some consultation with, we, we wish there was. Uh, but she emphasized the fact that a lot of times um, Victims, they they go back, and even when they are involved in a really great program, or they are they are rescued, or they are recovered, oftentimes they end up running back, mm-hmm. and, and that's because of a significant history of trauma, and that it's difficult to make changes. Um, but ultimately, I think a lot of these victims need to understand that they're not alone, and that someone sees them, and that someone is willing to help them. But in that, our willingness to help them is not assuming that we know what they need, but that people are here to try and
0: help. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of, I remember when Krish Kandaya said, you know, he is not just a biter. Remember that biter story where he said, he's more than that. It's the identity issues that are so core to these different things, which is why I often talk to people about. The difficulty with a lot of these trafficking situations around the world, particularly when we're different with dealing with different worldviews and different identity issues is sometimes, you know, it's not as simple as rescuing a child out of trafficking. It's actually like discipling them and walking alongside them out of trafficking because they're so broken with their worldview and their mindset and their identity that they just don't even know what to do if you did rescue them out of it. Do you find that?
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's why a big part of some of the larger national organizations have some type of education. And then for the faith-based organizations have some type of discipleship program that really focuses on who are you and who do you want to be and what skills do you have and what gifts do you have? You know, from my perspective, I mean, obviously, I really feel like a lot of times those things um can't quite come until there is some healing related to trauma. And there is some work uh, related to trauma, obviously, like I can do whatever he wants in that. But most of the time, there's just such deep, dark wounds from trauma that once we start pressing into those a little bit, a victim is more likely to see outside of that um, false identity.
0: Absolutely. So is there anything else you have to kind of finish up the conversation on this before we move to the recommendations?
2: Um, Just kind of in general, encouraging our listeners who hear this and that have their interest piqued to um, get involved in your community, see what options there are, see what availability there is. I know here in Louisville, again, Scarlet Hope is a phenomenal organization. It's an anti-trafficking organization. There's uh, great ways that you can volunteer on a really small basis or a really large basis.
0: Yeah, that's definitely so critical to understand, and even just hearing Stacy in the interview talking about the importance of the church and and coming coming around this issue, um, and I just want to encourage everyone out there because I know there's a lot of people listening and a lot of people out there who are are passionate about the uh, anti-trafficking issues that are there. And I want to really remind you, as we do in the show often, the interconnectedness of, you know, really the family strengthening, as we talked about the discipleship was, you know, these things that are preventative measures we can take to hopefully reduce the amount of trafficking going on. And, you know, not just discipling kids, discipling the adults to not go do these awful things to children, right? To, to train up ma- males right. to be men, to train up women to know that they are valuable and they are so incredibly Gifted and skilled and talented, you know these are the things that we need to speak truth into lives so that we can avoid, um, you know, some of these you know awful tragedies before they ever occur. Now, to the extent they do happen, obviously that's what a lot of what we're talking about today and how can we enter into that and restore. Um, but hopefully, you know, we can grab and capture these people before they need to be restored. So that's that's my hope and prayer, um, as much as possible. Um, so now that takes us to the. Recommendations, which today I'm going to give some oldies but goodies that have been on my uh, in my mind for a long time. Um, they actually a couple of them, as you may have heard on this show, are part of the reason I'm sitting here today talking about orphaned and vulnerable children at all. And the first one that I'm recommending is Good News About Injustice by Gary Haugen of International Justice Mission, and he really in that book does an amazing job of, of kind of giving the the backstory of you know and and describing. Uh, not only his story, but you know the uh, human trafficking. What is trafficking? What are the components of it, um, and what we can do about it? Uh, the other book that's kind of a follow-up to that, to the extent, is is called "Terrify No More," also by Gary Haugen. In that, they chronicle a raid of a, a brothel in Cambodia, and they also give um, a lot of stories beyond that. It's not just simply the story of that. It's interspersed with. Um, kind of the inner uh, discussions of what the uh, trafficking is about and and uh, the realities of it um, really in a vivid way. And then the last book is called Disposable People by Kevin Bales that gives a um, just a real good understanding of what trafficking is all about around the world and different, different, again, different worldviews and and what, what goes into it. It's really important for us to understand that too, because sometimes what causes trafficking, what's going on in trafficking is not as simple as, you know, someone being uh, tricked into it or kidnapped into it. Um, There's a lot of uh, family issues. There's a lot of cultural issues. There's a lot of other things that we need to understand as we enter into these issues that are so, so difficult and so, so complex. So as always, I want to encourage everyone out there, unless you have something at last minute to add, Karen, as I talked about those things.
2: No, just a great job reminding people that sometimes, um, trafficking is very complicated and and sometimes that looks like an expectation within a family, um, where there's not any type of kidnapping or tricking or trapping.
0: And that's what's so hard to wrap our mind around, especially in our comfortable little suburbs or wherever you are in the, in the, you know, if it's not in your face, if it's not something that you've actually experienced to hear stories like that. I remember the first time I heard, I'm like, no way, how in the world could a daddy do that to his daughter? And then you learn more and more. It's going on every day, unfortunately, so many times yeah. and it's just tragic. And that's, yeah, man, that's why it's so, it's so multifaceted. So Anyway, I I do as we, as we talk about that, even hearing, even just hearing Karen say that and even thinking about it again, just it's, it's why I I pray. It's why I, you know, just ask that each and every one of you out there, take what you learned today. Take what you're learning from this podcast. Take what you're learning from other things that you're reading and listening to and engaging and use it to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.